Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Creating Life. I'm Nikhil Venkateswar. And I'm Sindhuri Nandakumar. So Sindhu, we're at the halfway point of 2019. It's June already. I know. And you know, right now, I can only think of super cliche things to say like, oh wow, how time has flown by. Yeah, please don't do that. Okay, fine. So anyway, Nikhil, this week, we're doing something a bit different. We are not bringing in any experts. Whoa. Or doing any research that's going to keep me up late at night. Yes. So we are just going to talk about the things that inspired us. Because, you know, creating life, contrary to what the name actually sounds like, is not a show about pregnancy or fertility. And we chose that name mostly because we depend so much on the creativity of uh, creators around us and also our own creativity to process well our own lives. Yeah, and I think a good way to do that for our 11th episode would be to talk about some of the things that have inspired us. So we're talking films, books, music, television, podcasts, blog posts, articles, tweets, and also how they have helped us along in our personal journey. So Nikhil, how has 2019 been for you so far? I can't complain, Sindhu. The last six months have been really interesting for me. You already know this. I started freelancing in January uh, mm-hmm. as a writer and I got published a bunch of times in different newspapers and magazines. And part of the great thing about my work is that I get to write extensively about movies and TV shows that I really enjoy and I want to dig deep into. So, for example, for Slate, I wrote about Hasan Minhaj's Netflix show, Patriot Act, mm-hmm. and about its YouTube strategy and how it's marketing itself differently compared to every other Netflix movie or TV show. Yeah, and I really liked the article, by the way. Thanks a lot, Sindhu. First time I'm hearing it. Oh, well, <laughs> that's a first for everything. And I also wrote about the Tamil movie, Tulet, yeah. uh, which ran uh, for quite a bit in Chennai, actually. Mm. And um, I got to write about it for a US magazine, which is great because not many people talk about Hollywood outside of Tamil Nadu and outside of India. For sure, yeah. And, you know, what would you say that of all the things that you've consumed in the past six months, what would you say is the most powerful piece of work that you've interacted with i think so far in this year i don't think i've come across a piece of art that's been so powerful that's just completely grabbed me Mm. but i have come across a number of uh, movies tv shows and even podcasts that i really enjoy and i think with time maybe towards the end of the year they'll sort of stand out the more you know i sort of interact with it or think about it Mm -hmm. uh, later on yeah what about you how's your year been It's been a very interesting year. I feel like um, it's, I've been reading a lot more and that too very consciously. Mm -hmm. I um, have discovered some wonderful TV and I have had a few pieces of work, like simple things, like even an episode of a podcast, for instance, come to me at a time when I'm thinking something like, for instance, 2019, I've been thinking a lot about being chill and not thinking too much or Mm -hmm. working on interpersonal relationships. And a few things have helped me a lot. But, you know, one thing I am struggling with is just staying on top of the all-consuming media landscape. There's so much that's coming out, especially in the in the visual uh, streaming world, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I feel like I'm always overwhelmed or having FOMO. And I'm trying to figure out, like, how far this goes back. And you have talked about how TV critics for a long time have been talking about this anyway. But right. as far back as 2017, a whole two years ago, This writer, Jack Bernard, for The Guardian said, please, no more brilliant TV. I am at breaking point. And I think that's something we can definitely get into in this discussion, Sindhu, because that's Mm -hmm. also something that I've been thinking about myself. Another thing that I've been thinking about is uh, just on that role of the critic, because in the saturated media landscape, 
critics are the ones who can point us you know in the directions that we want to go to so yeah. i think that you know uh, in between all the things that have inspired us these are some of the things that you know we'll get to talk about Okay, so let's jump into it. Let's start with television. So I think you know, in comparing our lists for this halfway review, mm-hmm. I think both of us agree that uh, we've been seeing television the most. Yeah. I think out of all the different media, television has been the one that, uh, has been the one that's captured our attention the most. Yeah, and, and I think the size yeah. is probably like very conducive to lifestyle, or I I don't know what it is, just availability or what it is. But TV has been easier to consume for me. Yeah, and for me as well, because my personal thesis on TV right now is that as a form. it's evolving much faster or in more interesting ways than movies are yeah. as a visual medium because i think with streaming and with these different platforms competing for attention what what used to happen prior to all these competitors joining netflix in the media landscape was that the television show is either 30 minutes or 1 hour right yeah. 30 minute comedies and 1 hour dramas but now and especially i think that's this is partly influenced by youtube and short form content I think that in streaming you're seeing so many different and not just streaming but in TV in general you're seeing so many different kinds of shows mm-hmm. playing around with the time length of an episode mm-hmm. and also uh playing with form so for example the 30 minute drama is I think something that's come up in the last 6 months that I think has been really interesting for me and it's What something What are some examples So uh, the biggest example from late last year was Amazon's Homecoming with Julia Roberts yeah. so that was a clear drama that where every episode was 30 minutes and that was adapted from a podcast which right. was also 30 minutes an episode So what is a 30 minute uh, drama a love as opposed to an hour long one For me the biggest asset of a uh, the biggest benefit of a 30 minute drama has been the ability to condense story into what's most essential so for me mm. homecoming as a show each episode there doesn't feel a scene that did not have to be there in the sense that ev- you need to watch every scene to get the story watching one hour dramas after watching 30 minute uh, dramas there seems to be a lot of like added fluff that sort of drags it down and i easily disengage with it is it like watching 50 over cricket after ipl Yeah, I mean the much. real cricket fans would slap me right now. But no, pretty much. I, I mean, let's it, not even talk about test matches, right? Yes. But, so uh, okay, so what are some examples of great? I mean, you've mentioned Homecoming, but what, like length notwithstanding, what's something amazing you've watched this year? Yeah. So the the two shows that have really cap captivated me in the last six months have been HBO's Barry, mm-hmm. um, and Russian Doll. Mm-hmm. So with Barry, not a lot of people in India that I know have watched the show. It's available on Hotstar if you have a premium subscription. It's a show from Bill Hader, the It's former. Brilliant! Like his avatar as Stefan on Saturday Night Live. I wasn't a huge fan of Stefan. What? No, he's so good. Anyways. But I'm a huge fan of Bill Hader in the sense that mm. his sense of comedic timing, his uh, impressions, he has this very. Uh, chameleon like personality that yeah. can just step into a role and you can immediately buy it and so the show is about a hitman who wants to become an actor played by Bill Hader and mm-hmm. each season plays out as a 4 hour long movie basically okay uh, season 1 has 8 episodes each of them are 30 minutes so it's 4 hours season 2 is the same and what i love about it is that it widely switches tones between scenes so you know comedy to drama to mm-hmm. uh thriller and uh, within scenes themselves Um and it's also super surprising how far Hader is able to take this wacky premise mm-hmm. and play with it because 
a lot of gangsters in at least in hollywood w- have been inspired by tarantino and guy ritchie and that whole movement in the 90s where you know you ha- you hung out with these hitmen and you sort of grew to like them mm-hmm. um, and they were they had their quirks and they had their idiosyncrasies but it quickly became copied and it be- became a tired trope mm-hmm. and so what hader does with it is he's occupying familiar territory but he's playing it super grounded like you really believe these people and i think because half of the show exists in this acting world it also becomes a meta commentary about the nature of acting and what it takes to become an actor so that's hmm. what i love about it hmm okay and what about you sindhu i watched uh, the israeli tv show fauda i think season 1 released before 2019 but i just watched it this year <laughs> i really love i mean i i loved so many parts of the show and people did find it a bit problematic especially in the landscape of the israeli palestinian conflict but what i really liked about it was just how it is not a place to go for for happy endings mm-hmm. and how searing it can be and understanding perspective from the point of view of people for whom a reality has been true for their entire lives right so these people have lived in a conflict um landscape or a zone and this is what their lives are like and i think it highlights the difference between life in palestine and israel pretty well mm-hmm. so i when i studied abroad in israel i i went visited um, the west bank and just the the sheer difference as you just step across the border is stunning and there's there are some really sad and heartbreaking parts of the show which I kind of think like I'm like while watching it it's so easy to be like oh my god don't mess this up dude it's for you like you'll be happy and you know you right. choose love over whatever else that you're fighting with and I think that I find really cool like wh- and for me in television like sad endings are actually an, like they make me they satisfy me in a weird way even though I would not be okay with a sad ending in my own life and right. I think that's also why I loved Fleabag mm-hmm. everyone's been talking about Fleabag and I I don't think I can say anything new about it but the second episode the finale just uh, feels much richer and much more mature than the first one which also means that the, it's going to miss some of the rawness and the edginess of the first episode mm-hmm. and I think um Phoebe Waller-Bridge the creator and the lead of the show is just very she's managed to sell something to people that's so wacky it sells a heroine who is really when you think of it messed up in some ways but mm-hmm. it's so easy to see a bit of ourselves in her and this morning before coming here i read an entire article on vulture dedicated to the final scene the so there's a fox that keeps reappearing in the second season mm-hmm. so this person who's seen the end of the second season rewatched it and felt really sad because of the ending is like no 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 like my dad who has a phd in renaissance literature said the imagery of the fox means that the ending is actually happy <laughs> So Whoa. people are going back to it and trying to find ways to make the ending work for them because they're so invested in the show which I thought was the sign of a show well made. That's pretty cool and I think uh, it actually connects to another show I really liked which was Russian Doll mm. which is similar in that it also has uh, the the lead is a female protagonist mm-hmm. um played by Natasha Lyonne and it's uh, the core team creative team are females amy polo is one of the producers on the show and it's a puzzle box show filled with dark comedy and musings on mortality so the key, the the premise is a 36 year old woman played by natasha leon dies on her birthday only to come back to her birthday party again and again after she dies each time premise wise it's linked to groundhog day which yeah. has a similar premise mm-hmm. but because maybe it has this uh, female gaze that or this female perspective that drives the show 
it's not so much focused on this sci-fi wacky uh, premise mm-hmm. but it's more focused on um you know how it links to grief and uh the the cyclical nature of our lives so you know it goes on these uh, really cool details throughout the show and again it's only 4 hours it's 8 episodes yeah. 30 minutes each quite manageable yeah exactly but you know i've been noticing that every show that we've named mm-hmm. maybe with the exception of barry is either a prime a net or a netflix original or something that's been commissioned by netflix for a second season mm-hmm. but and i think netflix is a big like agent slash culprit here right like just in 2018 the number of shows they put on right. put out as original programming is just so prolific yeah so they spent 12 billion dollars yeah which is in like in 2018 insane so how do you i mean do you rely on critics or do you where do you find your content in yeah. a landscape like this Yeah so a lot of it is uh, what's scrolling through my twitter feed what are people talking about uh, because i follow a lot of critics on twitter so when something comes out and a bunch of critics are like this is great mm. that automatically for me is like a signal saying okay i should probably check this out Do um, you ever get fatigued by just trying to keep up I don't try to keep up I mean th- uh, the thing is this past 6 months I've been watching a lot of TV because I've been writing TV myself in the mm-hmm. sense you know writing sample episodes of existing shows which is something that you need to do to break into the industry uh, in the US mm-hmm. so for example with Barry I watched the entire show because I wanted to write my own episode of it uh, and you know watching it with this analytical perspective sort of reduces my fatigue because I'm I'm still learning like how does the show work what what's the show doing to drive the plot to like inform you about the characters to make sure that it stays on its feet mm-hmm. right and so that's another sort of facet of watching both movies and TV and so okay. for me it doesn't feel I don't get fatigued that easily okay but you know i get quite fatigued mm-hmm. which is why sometimes it's easier for me to rely on a tv show like if i discover a great tv show i'm set for like a month or two months depending on how many seasons are out but i've really struggled with movies this year i mean i've seen a couple of good ones mm-hmm. like us um always be my maybe which you and i watched together but nothing to the point where i was punched in my gut <laughs> and just moved to any kind of emotion really so in that case sindhu i highly recommend that you watch the netflix movie see you yesterday shameless plug <laughs> <laughs> great segue though okay <laughs> it's a sci-fi drama about a science prodigy who's invented time travel with her best friend mm-hmm. and she uses it to save her brother who it turns out is a victim of police brutality in the story wow okay so in this case it's extremely fun it's produced by Spike Lee mm-hmm. um and a debut director Stephen Bristol adapted it from a short film of the same name and because it takes this um african american perspective it feels fresh because it situates you in a neighborhood culture that you immediately identify with and immediately connect with and, and it sounds like it's also relevant to the present political climate right? exactly. like police brutality for instance exactly yeah. so because it has this political bent to it hmm. you immediately start reading more into what's going on in the story and, and it does contribute to that meta, at that meta level it's mm-hmm. not just operating on a story level it's also it does have substance mm-hmm. and yeah so it's it's just a great mo- it's it's only like uh, it's a quick 2 hour watch and it's one of the best netflix original movies i've seen mm-hmm. um uh in the last couple of years. Okay. And then you know there's always be my maybe which uh, some people were saying is like 
a good antidote to crazy rich Asians, depending on how you feel about the former, right? Some people like it, some people didn't. I like crazy you, rich Asians. I haven't watched it yet, but um, always be my maybe. I think was like I I follow people on Twitter who kept saying I've already watched it like four times, and at that point it was just two days since it had released, yeah, right? Yeah. And I felt the same way about um, what is that movie with the. Uh, the girl who wrote, writes a letter to all her crushes. Um, uh, for all the boys I've loved. Before. Yeah, I found a to lot all of the boys yeah to all of the boys I've ever loved. Like I found people from communities of color or the Asian American community being like, "Wow, finally!" Right. And what did you think of the film? We saw it together, Sindhu. We we were <laughs> laughing our asses off. I mean, I loved the Keanu Reeves intro. Yeah, the Keanu Reeves <laughs> section is just so just so out there. Yeah. No, I I mean I loved it. It's one of those rom coms that you know you're going to love from the second it starts playing. Yeah. And it knows its characters so well, and and it doesn't. I don't know. It just felt so authentic, and even though there are some scenes that are straight out of a rom com playbook, yeah, you go with it because you. I mean, I think the performances in this movie across the board are just absolutely amazing. Yeah, I, I think the fact that the the plot was quite stale, even by rom com standards, was, was it though? I. It was so like we all knew what was gonna happen, right? Like that asshole fiance. We're like, bro, you're not gonna last for more than ten minutes. And then we saw him wearing chappals and kurta pajama. Maybe it's because I don't watch rom coms too much that I'm like, when Fair. there's a great rom com, I'm immediately hooked and. But th- th- that's the thing. Like the reason why we were able to enjoy it, I feel, is because it was everything about the the way that plot had been executed, like hmm. the scenes, the dialogues, the intros, worked really well. Right. So as a ride, it was really fun. Right, and and the thing is, you know. The the male lead, the the so called hero of the movie, is mm. a stay at home guy who works at his dad's company. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have major ambitions. I mean, I can't remember a movie that dealt with a male hero like that and rewarded him at the end, right? Like, yeah, he was rewarded to change, which yeah. happens in every movie, right? But can you think of a stay at home protagonist in like a romantic comedy or any sort of uh, mainstream kind of movie? Entourage. I Who's staying at home in Entourage? The whole point of Entourage <laughs> is, is they, they go, go out <laughs> and they surround the you know the actor. It's smoothly changing topics. <laughs> I know you also so are a fan of. Yeah, so mm. some of the other movies that I really enjoyed uh, so far this year were um, Donald Glover's Guava Island, Island yeah. which is also only only thirty minutes. It's, it's technically quite, yeah. not a movie, but it's also not uh, a music video. It's sort of like a musical drama that's cr- quickly told. With a great performance by Rihanna, I heard. Would you agree? Uh, she doesn't so she doesn't have too many scenes, but her chemistry with uh, Glover's great. Okay. And then, uh, and then Us, obviously, a great movie. But I think the other movie that um I actually have seen only half of this year. Mm-hmm. I need to finish, but You're I can finish still finish the second half and the second half of twenty nineteen. Yes. Okay. Okay. But I can still highly recommend it. Is the Suspiria remake? Mm. So this was uh, uh, this is on Amazon Prime, uh, directed by Luca Guadagnino, and it has Tilda Swinton, it has Chloe Grace Moretz, it has uh, Dakota Johnson, and it's. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the original Suspiria. No. So it's basically set in 70s uh, Berlin and it's about a young American dancer who goes to a dance academy mm-hmm. and that's populated by witches. Okay. So it's like a horror like... And this one is one of those movies that you can't believe was made in 2018. It mm-hmm. released last year but it came out on Prime this year. Okay. It feels like it was made in the 70s. It just has a an energy to it that you don't see in uh, in mainstream movies today. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just captivating. It has so many 
sequences that are clearly uh, that are clearly informed by certain dream logic that it's it's definitely an art house movie and i don't know why amazon like decided to put its backing behind it because mm-hmm. it's so not mainstream because i knew you would talk about it in this podcast Absolutely. yeah <laughs> Okay, you've clearly watched a lot of movies. What about books? I have not read a I I What was the last book you read cover to cover? Beshara. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't I don't think I've read a book a uh, full length book for enjoyment this year yet. Okay. I've read novellas, I've read short stories. I've not read a book uh, huh. and I've only read non-fiction but I wouldn't classify that as enjoyment per mm. se. Hmm. Uh, because it's been it's been for this podcast and um, yeah, you don't enjoy making this podcast, right? Um, That's why you do it only during your free time. <laughs> so what about you? Um, I've been a lot better with books. Um, they've been the most kind of constant form of art. Mm-hmm. I try to read at least four a month, which I've not stuck to entirely. But um, there's one called Mirror Shoulder Signal. I think it's a few years old. It's an English translation of a Danish book by Dorothy Noss. It's about this really interesting woman who learns how to drive at the age of 40 and she translates some um, crime novels from Swedish to Danish and immediately relatable. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um it really ties in well with like a personal thing I've been doing in 2019 which is just I've had my license, my driving license for a few years, but mm-hmm. I decided to take um what is like defensive driving co- courses with this one person who has taught a lot of scared drivers in chennai how to drive mm-hmm. he gives you 10 classes and by the 8th class he's just like scrolling on his phone cuz he's like you got this you got this you can do it and so he and i we've been going out once a week or twice a week just through the streets of chennai and i feel so much more confident as a driver and i've been reading this book simultaneously so it's just really interesting to kind of compare the the, the experiences of something as simple as switching gears and i have an i have like whatever nightmares i've had in life have often had to do with like a moving vehicle mm-hmm. and it's often been the case that someone's sick and i'm not able to like shift a gear to get them to the hospital on time. Were any of those people me, Sundar? No, no, no. <laughs> um it's also I think I know where it comes from like when my dad passed away he was in a car like it wasn't an accident. Oh, okay. So I think it was just my sisters had the same dreams. So it's like you wake up with this feeling of helplessness. And so I was like in 2019 I'm going to stop having that dream. So What if you learn driving and you still have that dreams in those? I don't know. It's it hasn't come back like yesterday. For the first time in my life when I was going out with this driving master, I had road rage and I was like, "Wow, I've graduated to a level where I can experience an emotion other than nervousness and fear." In the driver's seat. In the driver's seat. And so Dorothy Noss is just like very like almost dry storytelling of this woman and her relationship with her sister and her driving instructors. Beautiful. Another book, very like new agey for the soul kind of book it's by a buddhist monk pema chodron uh, she wrote this thing called when things fall apart mm-hmm. just basically a collection of essays and she kind of talks about when you're in a difficult situation just sink deeper into it and she even says something along the lines of hope is the worst thing that you can give yourself which sounds very counterintuitive but that book has been amazing like whenever anybody tells me they have a like so they're going through something difficult in life i'll send them a quote from the book like i've become that annoying person because i find every word in it to be so interesting and valuable like it's it basically says 
just stop thinking that things are going to get better. And when you kind of sink into your own reality, that's when things actually will get better. Right. I think that's, yeah, I think that's quite valid. I'm yeah. surprised you haven't sent me any of these quotes. You don't tell me anything about your life. So, like, you, if you ever were like, hey, I'm going through this thing, I'll be like, do I have the quote <laughs> for you? So, do do I have to be going through something for you to share these this yeah. book with me? Yeah. Okay. So I just sent like a whole like five of them to somebody today and I have not received a response even though that person has been on online on WhatsApp for a while <laughs> So yeah, anyways. Um, anyways. But you know, so I rely, a, like I listen a lot to the New York Times books podcast mm-hmm. and I feel like we are never going to read all the books we want to read, right? Like even more than movies, I feel like that's the case with books because they're right. longer, time more time consuming. How much do you depend on a critic to tell you what to read or absorb or Yeah, I mean I, I depend on critics all the time and And why are they important to you? For me they're important because over time you develop a relationship with them and so you have the knowledge that uh, they will recommend things to you that you will like because there's this shared understanding of of taste that you both share, mm. right? And over time, like if they recommended something and you like it, and that keeps happening, clearly something is going you on. Vibing, yeah, yeah. Mm. Or it's like bias, where it's like because they said it, I like it. But I want to, yeah. Over time, I I I think I've like sort of sifted between those two categories. And how do you, like, do you find a culture of criticism in India? Not at all. Not really. Not even for films. For films, yes. So, so the thing with criticism in in India right now for me is that it's it's very it's at a level that's like one point where it's like simply based on reviews. Mm-hmm. A critic goes watches a movie, reviews it. But if you look at criticism in the U.S. and in the U.K., which I primarily read because it's mostly English language. Because you're fancy. Uh-huh. <laughs> you too. You read the same. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway. Please. But uh-huh. but yeah, there. Criticism is more finding patterns between uh, different works uh, of art in in a given medium or across media and sort of contemplating what that says about uh, a given topic, Mm. right? Like, you know, Emily Nussbaum's criticism in The New Yorker about uh, TV shows, whether it's one TV show or multiple TV shows in the same, that have come out around the same time and finding Mm. connections between them. Or if you look at... Recently, the critic Matt Zoller cites uh, after Game of Thrones uh, ended and uh, Avengers ended, mm. did a long uh, series of articles about what what do endings mean in a landscape like today yeah. uh, for these huge franchises that we know technically aren't really going to end because, mm. you know, the money is always there and the, and the money has only been growing and growing with these fandoms and these fan bases. And yeah. so he sort of, uh, he he doesn't, reminisce he's not nostalgic for a time where fandom seemed a little bit simpler where uh, you know you could enjoy a thing and you could discuss it and it didn't have to make two billion dollars it didn't have to have battle scenes that were shot 55 nights in a row yeah they could still exist and you could really enjoy them and they still inspired discussion whereas now it seems like an arms race between networks and studios and and stars yeah and so so yeah, so those kinds of criti- uh, those kinds of critical analysis is something that I feel like doesn't exist here. Mm. 
But you know, like what I love about criticism and what I wish we had more of for our like indigenous industries and artistic uh, movements is, or at least I'm not finding it if it exists, is there's a feedback loop between art and life, right? And mm -hmm. I think that is where critics kind of come in very importantly. For instance, Emily Nussbaum for The New Yorker and Parul Segal for The New York Times wrote about fiction, uh, television and fiction in the age of Me Too, respectively. Mm -hmm. And I thought right. that was, they help you make sense of the art you consume and place it within the context of our lives. Right. And also, Parul Segal wrote a scathing review of uh, Naomi Wolf. Wolf's uh, book mm -hmm. um, and how, you know, she made a factual error and Anand Giridharadas wrote something similar for... Jared Diamond's new book. Yeah, and he, he opened that review with something interesting where he's like, you see these people at airports reading the same damn books, right? <laughs> it's like uh, uh, Yuval... Uh, Noah Harari's Sapiens. Sapiens and Jared yeah. Diamond is like a big guy in that airport market. And you're finally like, okay, so somebody else has also been noticing this. And I didn't have the language or the knowledge or the depth of uh, information to process what I was noticing in the same ways. Right. And that's why I love critics, even if I don't agree with them always when they say, read this book. No, and you don't have to. I mean, that's the yeah. thing about critics, right? They're like, they're like you, you have that relationship and if it doesn't work out with something, you can... And in the age of Twitter, critics are so approachable where it's yeah. like you can hit them up and you can tell them what you thought and if you do it in a polite way without sort of um, angering them, then a dialogue can be had, a discussion about can be it. had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, what about music? We haven't talked about music. Yeah, so music, it's really hard for me to pinpoint a particular album or artist that sort of... Uh, took over my uh, listening time in the last six months. Mm. But a couple of people that, you know, I've really found, that I found recently that I really enjoyed, there's a soul artist called uh, Charles Bradley, whose uh, two of his tracks are used as the opening themes of uh, TV shows. Mm. So one of his tracks, Change for the World, was uh, the opening, is the opening song for Barry. Mm -hmm. So that's how I found him. And then another one is for the Netflix show, Big Mouth. Mm. So his his music is just even though it's made in the in in the twenty first century, it, it sounds like it was made in the seventies, and it has this sort of throwback feel of soul to it. Mm -hmm. uh, he's passed away now, but his music is really you know it 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 immediately evokes seventies soul. Um, and I also listened to Flying Lotus's recent album Flame Agra, mm. which has a great track featuring David Lynch, uh, mm. sort of. Mystic, d talking his mystical stuff as usual. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about you? I actually haven't listened to a lot of music. I mean, Mumford and Sons, if that counts. And uh, hmm. I really liked the I liked the theme song for Patriot Act, and obviously, okay. right, it's uh, by the person who composed. Uh, parts of Black Panther. Yeah, he composed. He won the Oscar <laughs> yeah, for right, Black Panther. That. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then what else? For music, I liked. I I've been really appreciating music placement in television shows. I think the first time I ever noticed that was with Grey's Anatomy, how the mm -hmm. music was very precise. I've noticed that in Fleabag, like it ends with this Alabama Shake song, which again made people wonder, like, hey, is the ending going to be different to what we actually saw? Right. But I haven't really consumed any album or discovered any new artist, right? Necessarily. And what about podcasts? A lot. I mean. I listen to podcasts a fair bit. I have been going back to the ones that I really like and already knew about. Like I've been, so Dear Sugars by um, Cheryl Strayed and right. um, Steve Armand has discontinued, but they keep 
putting out their old episodes, like the favorite ones, and I've always gone back to it. It has something for every situation in life. It makes you feel so much less alone about your own insecurities. And I recently listened to an episode of On Being, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite podcasts. It features Abraham Verghese, who wrote the brilliant novel Cutting for Stone. He's he's a doctor as well. Right. And Denise Pope, who is an educator at uh, Stanford. And it basically says, like, how do you want to be when you grow up? And it's live taped at Stanford. And it basically talks about how millennials might be redefining the notion of success, even though they live in this incredibly pressurized world and face a lot of like judgment and standards that they might not want to aspire to but are trapped between and I really wish I'd heard it when I was in college you know because I feel like it's a quintessential struggle for 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 a lot of college going kids yeah yeah yeah, I'll definitely check it out for sure what about you for me podcast wise uh still processing had a great run from January to April Mm, and now they're on a hiatus so, you know, our show is also inspired by Still Processing yeah. and especially recently since we launched this podcast uh, and you, we've been going back and sort of finding what makes their show work and what, yeah. what can we incorporate into ours. And so basically, you know, the the ease with which um, that show tackles with culture uh, in a timely way and connects with recent events and drawing, like doing what the best critics do that we just mm. talked about right yeah. so that's what i really like about it but also new shows like today explained and the daily have been a constant feature in my podcast listening time so yeah. and we've also tried to we've also played with our podcast format to uh, kind of incorporate yeah kind of in, inspired by you know listening to those so i think there's always this back and forth going on between you know what we're trying to do and what's already out there yeah and what are you most excited for about the next six months of 2019? Like releases, or books, or what's on your list? Honestly, I don't have a future list because okay. I know that there's always going to be the next show that people are talking about. Netflix will take care of that. For yeah, you. like, for example, like, we've spoken about Fleabag, so I want to get into Fleabag. And I also mm. want to get into Phoebe Waller-Bridge's other show, Killing, Killing Eve, Eve yeah. which I heard is also really mm. good. So, yeah, there's... And and now with the Emmys, uh, Emmys are coming around soon, so... I'm definitely going to find more like TV shows and more movies to watch. Mm. What about you? I'm interested to watch Leila, uh, which is an adaptation of Prayag Akbar's novel of the same name. It's it's rooted in India, which and it's you know sci-fi. So I'm very excited about that because I think that space is still developing in the country. It's directed by Deepa Mehta. Right. I want to get into Chernobyl because everybody is talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's and the I'm next like, show. You know, yeah. I'm the OG Russia history nerd, like all of you people. Like I'm very like me. Have about. you read a lot about Chernobyl? Not about Chernobyl, but I have like a deep fascination with Russian history. I was like one of two kids in my school who took it for her A-levels or 12th grade exams and um, everybody yeah. who made fun of me for studying history is now like oh my god Chernobyl is amazing like <laughs> whatever um, yeah and I also want to watch uh, Sacred Games season 2 season, it's yeah. coming out soon yeah. there's not going to be a, a time when we wake up and we're like "What? Do, there's nothing for me to watch yeah for sure yeah. I used to have those days as a child you know like. and then what did you do Um, I just entertain myself like just talk to myself <laughs> Here's to the rest of 2019. Here's to the rest of 2019, yeah. Maybe we should do another episode in December. Our listeners are like, please, it's okay. (laughs) Creating Life is co-hosted by me, Nikhil Mengitesa, and Sindhuri Nandakumar. We record our episodes at Aura Studio in Chennai. Our producer is C. Girinand, and our recording engineer is Siddharth Das. You can write to us at creatinglifepodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at creatinglifepodcast.com. 